right, grab out your Bible, something to take some notes with today as we study God's Word. Or if you'd like to pull out your cell phone, um, we have a Victory Harvest Church app, have all the fill-in-the-blank version of the notes. I tell you, every week, uh, if I see you on your phone, I'm assuming you are using the Victory Harvest Church app to fill in versions as we study God's Word together one more time in this series. We're finishing it up today, uh, this series called Back to the Basics, because we have just been praying throughout the 21 days um, for clarity. Been praying for God's direction. Some of us are at a crossroads. Some of you are making decisions, not only for the year, maybe for your life. Some of you are making new decisions, uh, maybe changing some things that you do. It's a time of, uh, honestly, new beginnings. And so we started this series asking God for clarity and for some focus. That was the first week. Just praying, how can we stay focused on what actually matters? Uh, and if we do that, we need to get back to the basics. What is life about? What are the basics that we should be said? The foundations of those decisions. So we talked week one about staying focused. Week two, we talked about our thoughts. Uh, we started this thing saying everything in your life starts with a thought. Honestly, the course and direction of your life is beginning with your thoughts. And so we need to think about what we think about. Week two, that was our thoughts. Week three, then we moved on to our words. Once we think it, then we say it. That was last week. Uh, that honestly, we need to really think about the words that we are saying. That your life will never change till you change the words that you speak. Life and death, the Bible says, are in the power of the tongue. And so we need to examine some of the things that we might be speaking death over our relationships and over our lives. Uh, that was last week. A lot of good practical wisdom. If you, have, if you missed those, jump online. Check those out. I think it will really help you. Today, I want to take it one step further. And that's talk to you not just about your thoughts, not about your words. But now words become actions. So now we've thought it. And we talked about that for an entire week. And now we've said it. And suddenly it becomes actions in our life. I want to talk to you about the habits that you make in your life. Because jot it down if you're taking notes. First thing, what you are is what you repeatedly do. If we're going to talk about actions, and it's going to be maybe a little bit offensive today. I'm going to step on your toes just a little bit. But what you are, the thing that you actually are, is what you repeatedly do. And today is one of those days um, that I'm not really going to preach at you a whole lot. Um, honestly, I don't have... I might inspire you a little bit. I, I don't know. We'll see how it goes if you're the type of person that gets inspired like this. But honestly, I'm not going to preach at you so much as today uh, I'm going to teach a little bit. And so it's kind of a hand-in-hand -hand thing here where if you're a person who likes to take a lot of notes, today is your day, all right? Today is your Sunday. All the rest of us enjoy the rest of them. Today is for you, all right? That's what it is. If you like to dig a little bit deeper, today we're going to dig a little bit into uh, some of the scriptures that we're covering. We're going to stop a little bit on a couple of chapters I think are important, and we're going to learn a little bit about the actions that we take, the habits that we form. And honestly, I might not fire you up as much today, but I promise you I'm going to equip you uh, as we study this particular topic. Because I think to end out the series, I want to give you a little bit of a practicality of, okay, then what does tomorrow look like? What does this week look like? How do I put these things into practice? Because I love week one to three, but I'm failing at all of them. And so if that's you, and honestly, it's me, even as I'm studying for this message, I had these moments of, okay, I'm not putting these things into practice. The things I want to do, I don't see myself doing. And so we're going to talk about it a little bit, because today we're going to talk about this little word that we all love called discipline. Now, all of us enjoy discipline. All of us are big fans of discipline. All of us love when God brings discipline into our lives. Amen. I'm not even going to ask for a show of hands, but all of us really hate discipline. If we're honest with ourselves, this is not something that we enjoy. And so we're going to talk a little bit about discipline because discipline, really, if you boil it down, 
Discipline is choosing. It's the ability or the action of choosing between what I want now and what I want most. If we're honest with ourselves, because a lot of times we will do all the surface level mumbo jumbo to try to hide the fact that when we are undisciplined, we try to hide the fact that when we do these things that we try to say we don't want to do, we're actually choosing what we want now over what we want most. Most of us, myself included, oftentimes in so many areas of life, we like to take the easy way out. And honestly, it's those choices that we make that are keeping us from God's best for our life. Keeping us from actually walking and reaching the goals he would have. Like all of us would say, man, it's like 1 p.m. on a weekday and I'm at work and I'm like feeling I ate my lunch and now I want to go home and it's not five o'clock yet. And so really all of us would say, well, maybe I can stretch out. I have this one thing that I already finished this task, but maybe I could stretch it out. Nobody would really notice if I just like just kind of stay in it for the next four hours and stretch it out. And then at five o'clock and I can go home. But what I, that's what I want now. But what I want most is maybe I want a promotion or maybe I want to start my own business or I want to be in leadership. And so I have to make some choices about the way that I act. Some of you are like, why is he personally attacking me right now? Like, why is he? When I get home from work, what I want now is to be right in this argument that I'm having in my marriage. What I want now is to be right in this argument I have in a relationship. What I want now is to lash out and give all the hurt and the things I carried at work. I want to let them all out and relieve some of the stress that's on my life. That's what I want now. What I want most is happiness. Come on, somebody. Like, I want to be, I want to be happy in my marriage. I want to have a marriage that actually fulfills. I want to have, be happy in my relationship. So I have some choices that I have to make when I see my kids. What I want now is I want them to leave me alone because I got to rest, right? I want to watch football and I want to just lay on the couch and do nothing. But what I want most is to pour into their lives and invest in them. My kids are on the front right here raising their hands like, yeah, that's what he wants. What I want most is to invest in them and spend time with them and so that they'll live righteous lives and grow up. And when they're adult, they'll be friends with me and not cut off all connect. I, that's what I want most. And so I have decisions to make. Come on, we'll just cover everything. What I want now is that big fat piece of chocolate cake that's sitting on the counter because somebody left it there for whatever reason. That's what I want now. What I want most is not to wheeze like a pop balloon when my kids want me to run more than 20 feet with them to play some sports. We've got to make some decisions that we have to make. What I want now is to watch my favorite TV show. Come on, somebody. I want to binge watch TV all night long. That's what I want now. What I want most is to have a life of discipline where I get up early and read my Bible and spend time with the Lord and spend time with those that I love and be diligent in my job that I need to go to and be diligent in my relationships. That's what I want most. And so we got to make some decisions in life. Discipline. we got to have discipline. How many of you would say that you are a high... I just was curious. How many of you would like self-reflect and say you are a highly disciplined person? Anybody in the house today, you would say like, I am highly... We got anybody, anybody would say like, I, I live a discipline. It's not a trick question. I'm not going to like make you stand up or something. You would say, oh, none of you guys, maybe a couple of you. Some of you are sitting there thinking like it's 30 degrees outside pastor. And I'm at church. Hello. Clearly disciplined. Like I'm, I'm here. And so I don't know what you want from me. Discipline. I would make the case to you that everybody is highly disciplined, but a lot of us are just disciplined in the wrong things. I think everybody is highly, we just discipline ourselves. It's like when you find out uh, that a show you really like 
has like been released on a streaming service or a thing. Or honestly, it's like when you find out about a show and you never even knew it exists. Like anybody remember when 24 came out? It's been about 20 years now. That show 24, Special Agent Jack Bauer, anybody you just remember? And you didn't find out about it till it was already like two or three seasons in. And it was like this amazing concept. It was 24, 24 episodes in a season that covered one day, 24 hours of a day. And so I was in college my freshman year, and it blew our minds, this idea of this show. And so there was a circuit city near our university. We'll just date this thing. And it was shutting down, everybody. Now, they took three years to shut that thing down. But it was a going-out-of-day sale, and we loved it. We were out there at the first week going to buy some stuff. And my roommate and I, the first year of college, we went and bought three seasons of 24. And we were like, we got this show, this idea of he's going to save the world in 24 hours. And we thought, wouldn't it be amazing? Because there's a little clock that counts during the show. Amazing to watch a whole season in one day. Wouldn't that be incredible? Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah, we did really well in college. Let me just tell you that. We were top of everything. It was amazing. And we did it during exam week. We were like, we could watch this. Now, runtime without commercials was somewhere around 19 hours. It was amazing. It was a great choice by us. Really smart decision. And so we put this thing on, started at midnight, watched the entire thing in those 24 hours. We'd be like, pause it. I got to go take an exam. And then we'd run back and we'd be like, okay, unpause. And by about five o'clock in the afternoon, like I'm looking at this thinking like Jack Bauer has saved the world and I have eaten 200 Oreos. Like it's the same. It's the same. And failed a psych exam. That's what I have done in these 24 hours. But you remember that, but we are all disciplined when we find that thing. And don't laugh at me because you have all done it. You have all binge watched and looked at things. If we just put your Netflix numbers up here on the screen, everybody, like one Sunday, we just had them up here. I promise you a whole lot of you would not be laughing at me on this time, but we just were disciplined in the things that don't really matter in life. And if we're honest with ourselves, all of us have an area that it's just what, and not, not even sinful. I'm not trying to say it's some area. I'm just saying things that usually don't matter. We are highly disciplined in. We are able to go the extra mile. We are able to discipline and rearrange our schedules to make sure we do it. But it actually doesn't change our life at all. Like it's easy for us to be disciplined in eating our favorite foods. Like if your thing is like Coke and fries at McDonald's, it is easy for you to be like, I see the golden arches. The Lord is drawing me Coke and fries. That's where I'm going to end up. Coke fries and a Big Mac. It's just easy for us to be disciplined. It's not hard. It's easy to do the wrong things in life because we're choosing what I want now over what I want most. We're disciplined for this stuff that actually doesn't matter. And here's the reason why. Hebrews chapter 12, it says no discipline. So here it's talking about the things, it's talking about the things that actually matter. When you want this discipline in our life, why don't we have discipline for the things that actually make a difference? Here it is. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. There it is, everybody. We just go home right now. It is painful to live a disciplined life. If things are actually going to matter, if we're actually going to do the things God is calling us to do, there's some pain attached to it. And all of us can probably relate to that. Like if you've ever uh, worked out or exercised at any point in life, so not right now, but if at any point you have tried to discipline your body, or even the first week of the fast, you've told your body, no, you can't have this. It is painful to start that thing. Any type of exercise And I'm learning, honestly, that it gets harder the older that you get. Come on, somebody, say amen. The older you get, like I'm realizing that now, like even to stretch and get ready for the physical exercise is a dangerous thing. Come on, somebody. Like it is, like I've internalized this. Like I am one ambitious stretch away from not being able to look left for like a week. Like it's just an amazing, awful thing that has happened to my life. It's painful to have any of that. Anytime you try to bring a discipline, it's painful. But the Bible says, but afterward... 
If you survive through the pain, if you put the discipline afterward, there will be, I love this wording, a peaceful harvest of right living for those who choose to be trained in this way. So if you train in that way, train your life, not just, not just physically, but relationally and spiritually, emotionally. If you'll train this way, there's a peace that comes to your life. That living a disciplined life that God leads us to live is a wonderful way to live. It is painful to start. It is painful to put these things into place, but a disciplined life is an incredible life to live. But we just have to be able to understand the idea that it is painful. And yet, reality is, we know this disciplined life is what we're supposed to do. And yet, year after year, we fall short. We make the same list in January. We make the same resolutions every year. And we fall short of them. We just be practical today, all right? I'm not pointing my finger at anybody. Honestly, I'm pointing all of them back at myself. We put the same things on the list. We put, I want to enrich my relationships, and I want to study my Bible more, and I want to grow my marriage, and I want to invest in my kids, and I want to start a new hobby. I want to lose the weight. I want to pay off the debt. I want to do all of these things. And year after year, we don't. And so we're going to talk a little bit. The problem today, honestly, and I was trying to boil this down for this week, and honestly, I come back to this. The problem is not what we know. The problem is what we do. Because I can get up here and I can give you 800 hours of knowledge. And if you can internalize all of it but do nothing to act on it, I promise you next year the same things will be on the list. Problem is not that we, or not what we know. The problem is what we do. One of my favorite quotes was, most Christians, we're far, far overeducated beyond our level of action. We know what it is to be light. We know what it is, but we're not changing our habits. And there is a reason for it. Now, the Apostle Paul uh, wrote about this in the book of Romans. I so appreciate the Apostle Paul. Honestly, um, apart from Jesus, one of my favorite people in the entire Bible uh, writes in all portions of Scripture. And he's one of my favorites, honestly, because he talks about sports all the time. And that resonates deeply with me. I don't know about you. You can pick your own. But honestly, just an incredible man. Life is transformed. If you know his story, he goes from persecuting the church uh, to building the the church. He goes to writing all of these incredible letters, some of the greatest dissertations you'll ever read to all of the different churches that he planted, uh, Romans and Galatia, Corinthia. He, he writes all these in Corinth. He writes all of these uh, letters and things that are the bedrock of our theology today. Um, he's led by the Holy Spirit. His Bible college is God basically drags him into the desert and teaches him theology. It's an amazing story. Incredible guy. Probably one of the most devoted Christians in the history of the world. And yet in Romans chapter 7, he kind of peels the veil back and he lets us look in a little bit on his humanity. And I appreciate this more than maybe any of the other stuff that he writes because he shows what he is struggling with. And we're going to find here in Romans chapter 7, three different emotions that we encounter when we come to these crossroads, when our life is not looking like what we know it should look like. When we're thinking, hey, I have these habits, I know I should be doing, I should be disciplined in this area, but I'm just not. And Paul writes, maybe in his moment of great clarity about himself, maybe a moment of great self-reflection, he writes in Romans 7, verse 15, how we live the life that we know we're supposed to live, but maybe we're not doing it. Verse 15, he says, I don't really understand myself. Come on, somebody, this is, put this on your fridge, right? Some of you want to give that to somebody you know. I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, he says, I do what I hate. I want to do what's right. Watch this in the next verse. He said, I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. I know that nothing good lives in me. He's like, I want to force myself to live right. 
I want to force myself to begin to do it. Back to verse 15, just for a moment. He says, I want to do this. I don't understand myself. And honestly, the first emotion that we encounter, if you've ever had this moment in your life where like, I know what is right and I want to do it, but I just can't do it. First thing we begin to see is this moment of confusion. Jot it down if you're taking notes. The first place we get stuck in, even as a Christ follower, is just this confusion. Like, man, I've got these desires to do what's right. I want to live a righteous life. I know the difference between right and wrong. I know how I'm supposed to act, and I know how I'm supposed to speak, and I know the things that people expect of me, but it just seems in these couple of areas of life, I just can't change. I just can't bring myself to the but you can't make it go right. Well, confusion sets in when we have these right desires, as we'll see, produced by the Holy Spirit, but then we have the wrong actions. Confusion sets in when we have the right desire, but then we just have the wrong action, and we can't figure out where the break is. And now I may be preaching to angels today, all right? You may be saying, this has never happened to me, and you can just check out, all right? You can step up. But for the rest of us, we have the desire to do what's right. We just can't marry it with the action. We just can't seem to achieve it. And what happens when we get stuck in that place? Watch this in verse 20. He says, if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. And so I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right... I inevitably do what is wrong. This is Paul speaking. Writing to Christians. He's writing and he's saying, I've discovered this principle. When I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. This brings about the second stage. I'm not just confused. Now I'm frustrated. You've ever been in that stage of life? Like, I'm not just confused about why it's happening. Now I'm just mad that it does. I just can't figure this thing out. I thought I gave my life to Christ. I thought he made me a brand new person. Why am I still struggling with this sin? And I can't show this in church because everybody else there is perfect. And so there's no way I could possibly, you know, let this struggle come out. Paul is writing this to the old Christian world. He's saying, I have found this principle to be true, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. And so you may be sitting there thinking, I don't know what this is. I thought I did what was right. I thought I gave my life to Christ. I thought he made me new and I set out to do what's right. And I've made every commitment that I know to make. And I've shed every tear that I have to shed. I've refreshed myself before God. I've raised my hands in worship. I've done everything I know to do. And yet I still struggle with this. I want to do what's right. And I find myself doing what's wrong. And I'm frustrated. And Paul gives us the secret to this repetitive failure in this little phrase Back in this verse, when he gives us in this phrase, he says, it's not I that do it. Watch this, back in verse 19 of Romans 7. We'll go back to verse, uh, verse 19, the one before uh, frustration. He says, I want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. And then the next one after that. And he says, I, I found the secret to this. That when I do want to do what is right, he says, it's this sinful nature inside of me. He says, the reason I'm doing this is not I that do it, but it's the sin inside of me. Now, lest you think that Paul is passing the buck, let me just explain this for a moment. Reality is, every single one of us were born with this propensity to sin. I don't know if that's news to you. I don't know if someone told you that you were perfect in your life. Let me just bust that bubble. We are born with this propensity to screw things up. Truth is, the sin nature controls the life of every person who has not given their life to Christ. The sin nature on the inside of us that's controlling our action. Because mankind from the beginning, beginning from Adam in the garden, has passed down this propensity to sin. This sin nature on the inside of us. And we have different areas that we struggle with. All of us are different, but we all have it. And watch this in Colossians chapter 2. This is Paul writing again to the church. And he says, you are dead because of your sins. 
and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. And so you were dead in the midst of your sins, in the midst of your sinful nature. That word dead, I don't know if you know this, in the Greek New Testament, the word dead simply means separated. It means separated, separated from God, this separation. Even in the Garden of Eden, when the devil tells Adam and Eve, you won't surely die if you eat of the fruit. Well, they ate of it and they were immediately spiritually separated from God. That moment that sin entered, it's a spiritual death, a break in intimacy, the ability. He says you were in that place because of your sins and because of the sinful nature not yet cut away. So the sinful nature controlling your life before Christ. It's why people that before they come to Christ, they'll talk about all the things they want to make right in their life. But it doesn't really matter until that moment that you surrender yourself to him. That's the moment that we give up control of our lives. The sinful nature is then it says cut away. This miracle takes place. God makes you alive with Christ. And watch how he does it because he forgave all of our sins. That's salvation. Watch what he does. He canceled the record of the charges against us. And he took it away by nailing it to the cross. So that is salvation. That God took the charge of the record against us. He took away our sins. Removed as far as the east is from the west. Removed our transgressions from us. That God has taken it away and taken away the charges and nailed them to the cross. Completely wipes the slate clean. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You have been set free, a fresh start in life. And what's more, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. And shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. The rulers and authorities, the spirits of darkness. The only thing he disarmed them. The only thing they had against you were the things that you had done. The only power they had over you were the sins that you had committed. The only way they could blackmail you, if you were, are the things that you have done. And so he disarms them by taking away the record of our wrongs. By wiping clean the slate of our sins. And nailing them to the cross. And so the devil and his minions and spiritual darkness and authority have no power over your life anymore. Now the Bible says they are a defeated foe. That by Jesus' victory on the cross, he takes what we had done. He takes the record of our wrongs, disarms spiritual authorities, any power they might have over us. And then watch this. And then shames the devil. Back, oh sorry, back in that one. Shames him publicly by his victory over him on the cross. Happened as a believer, you've been forgiven and you have been set free. You've been forgiven and set free. So the sinful nature, watch this, has been cut away. It's no longer in control of your life. But watch this, and then there's this moment. It's been cut away. It's no longer in control, no longer in power. But in this life, on this side of heaven, it's not gone. We still live in these broken bodies. And the Bible says one day we will be made perfect. One day it will be the completion of sanctification. And God is doing that in our lives at that point. But you're still you. You're still stuck on this side of heaven. We're still stuck in imperfect bodies in an imperfect and broken world. And so the sinful nature, it's no longer in control of your life. It's no longer in control. It's separated from that. But then it's still trying to take control back. Watch this in... First John, he says it this way. John writes, he says, if we claim to be without sin. And now that word sin is maybe almost mistranslated in this section. Because the word he used here for sin is the same word that Paul uses for sinful nature. This idea of the sinful nature within us. All throughout the, the New Testament you see this. If we claim to be without the sinful nature, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The truth is now we have that sin nature living inside. Even though it's not in control, we've been made new and made clean. It's still clamoring for control of our lives. We talked about this during the fast. That body part of us, that imperfect part that we're still living in. 
still wants to be in control. That sinful nature that still tries to draw us towards things that are not of God still tries to be in control. So we are sons and daughters of God living with the Holy Spirit inside of us. But a war where the sinful nature wants to take back control. How does that work? Like, how does that play out in our lives? Some of you already are trying to like, you're coming up to speed with this because you've seen this play out. But how would that work? Let's go to Galatians. Paul actually writes what is kind of the sister book to Romans. He writes it to Galatia, explaining foundations of theology, explains the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the power of God, the presence of God. And chapter 5 is dedicated to the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Again, writing to the church. So he sets up this tension. Let the Holy Spirit guide. You see, writing the Holy Spirit guiding your life as opposed to doing what your sinful nature craves. He says the sinful nature wants to do what is evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. If you've ever had this tension and not been able to give it a name, here it is, everybody. What Paul is writing about in Romans, he's laying out theologically in Galatians. This idea of, okay, if you're led by the Holy Spirit, you won't do what the sinful nature desires. And so guess what happens? These forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Guess what happened? They're fighting each other. It's why your spiritual New Year's resolution list does not get checked off when you try to do it on your own. That you're not free to break this off because there is a battle raging on the inside of you and you don't have the power to change yourself. You know why? Because there is a sin nature. There's brokenness. Until we shed this body and we become perfect in eternity, there is a brokenness we carry. A sinful nature at war with the spirit in our life. And so you say, well, I know what to do and I've heard and I've written it down and I have resolutions and I know I'm supposed to be and I know these things. But there's a brokenness inside of you that dooms you to fail. You cannot succeed. When the sinful nature is in charge of your life. And when we try to do it under our own effort. And honestly, I think we put this out and we say, well, that's just what the sinners are doing. They're doing it under their own effort. We are holy and righteous and right living. And so, honestly, I have seen countless Christians, myself included in seasons of my life, that we still try to carry this thing on our own effort. And we see an area of our life and we think, well, I've got to fix that thing before I ever go back to God and worship or prayer. I've got to fix that. And God is saying, come to me in the moment of that weakness. Come to me in the moment of that brokenness. But we will run so far and carry so many burdens because we have manipulated our mind and thinking, i got to do this thing myself. And Paul is saying, you are not free to carry out your intention. This sin nature is at war in your body. And when we try to do it by ourselves, we always fall short in sin. If you've ever been there where you say, well, I'm trying, and then you go three months, and then you fall again. I'm trying to work this thing out. And then you go two weeks and you fall again. Have you ever been in that moment? Today is for you. You say, well, then how do I know if I'm letting the sinful nature win? If it's a war inside of me, how do I know how the battle's going? Well, Paul goes on very clearly, verse 19. And he says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature. So when that war is being won, the Holy Spirit is giving you the desires to do what is right. But the sinful nature is at war. When you give in, the results are very clear. I like Paul. He says, sexual immorality impurity, lustful pleasure. Some of you are like, phew, he's not talking about me. Hold tight, everybody. Idolatry, sorcery, hostility. Watch this. Quarreling, jealousy. Check this out. Outburst of anger, selfish ambition. Come on, somebody. I'm going to step on all your toes. Dissension, division. This is Paul. I love you. Paul is saying this. Dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties. And in case you didn't find yourself on the list, other things, anything that looks like this. 
You want to know if the sinful nature is working in your life, if it's winning the battle of your life. He says it's very clear, it looks like this. He says anybody, and he wants to be very clear, I tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life, anyone living that sort of life, when it looks like that, will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You want the quickest route to forgetting that we are strangers here on this earth. That we are citizens of heaven, of eternity. You want the quickest, way to get, the quickest route to get our eyes off of eternity and onto this life, onto this brokenness. Quickest route to forget what we are living for. It's when the sinful nature takes over that we forget. In fact, even as Christians, too often we let the sinful nature call the shots. We let it win this war that's raging inside of us. We let it start to win the thing. We forfeit the kingdom of God even in this life. You say, what does that look like for a believer? Because I thought my eternity was bought forever by my salvation. It is. Paul goes on in Romans 7. He says, I actually love God's law with all of my heart. I'm reading this this week and I'm thinking about Christians. People that have already surrendered their life to Jesus. They are living their lives for him. And yet we're letting things, we're like Paul saying, I know what to do. I know what is right. I want to do what pleases God. And I just find myself not doing it. Now, listen, I want to talk a little bit about this. But first, I want to say clearly, I don't think that there is some license where you just can stay in habitual sin and addiction and live this life, pursue that stuff and just willful sin. But I believe there's going to be a whole lot of people that miss out on what God's best is for this life. You're on your way to heaven, but you are miserable on the way. That you are missing out on God's presence, on God's power, on the presence of the Holy Spirit. You are missing out on what God is calling you to live in this life. You may go to heaven, yeah, but you will hate your life on the way. And we're missing out on what God's presence is in the process. You are a tormented Christian. And that's not the life that Jesus came to bring. He says, I love God's law with all of my heart. But there's another power within me that's at war with my mind. We talked about that week too, our thoughts. It's at war with my mind. Because that's where spiritual warfare takes place. He says, this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. What a miserable person that I am. I don't know if you word it like that, but maybe some of you have been in that place. You say, I know what's right and I know what I'm supposed to do. Some of you have been in that place of just being completely discouraged. So you're not just confused, you're not just frustrated, you're discouraged. You're like, I've cried every tear I can cry. I've tried everything I can. You don't understand, Pastor, there's just not hope for me. Like that thing just keeps coming back in my life and I keep trying to cut it off and it keeps coming back in my life. And I've tried everything. I'll never have joy again. I'll never be free again. I'll never be consistent. I'll never have relationships that work. I'll never have a time where I'm disciplined in reading God's word. I'll never have what a miserable person that I am. Here's the secret. If we stop there, we can all go home depressed today, everybody, right? We just, just go ahead and call, just call it right there. We'll have part two next week. No, we would be depressed this entire time. If Paul stops, stop, if he stops talking there, we would probably just give up. Because if Paul couldn't do it, then there's no way I'm going to do it. If Paul couldn't make it work, then there's no hope for me. But watch this. Praise the Lord. He keeps on talking. What a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And he keeps talking. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. He says, thank God the answer. Listen to me, everybody. There is hope. There is freedom. And there is power for your life. But it is not in a principle. It is in a person. 
There is power to break free of this. There is power God has given us to live a life that the Holy Spirit would guide us in. But it is not in five steps to success. It is not in me giving you the next 12 things you need to do for this year to make sure it all goes right. It is in the power and the presence of Jesus Christ. That it comes in a relationship with him. Listen to me. It is not about you trying harder. It is about you surrendering more. It's about giving every area of our life to him. This thing is not in our own efforts and is not in our own power. It's in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul says, who can rescue me? What a miserable person that I am. It's in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because there is hope for you to have lasting freedom. Not this thing that keeps cropping up every three months. Not this thing that keeps showing up on the list every January. Lasting freedom. It's why Galatians goes on in chapter 5. Watch this in verse 22. It says, the result of this. So we talked about what happens when sin dominates when the sin nature calls the shots we saw that list but you want to know how you tell when the holy spirit is winning that side of the battle he says the fruit of the spirit the result of that in your life is love and joy and peace and forbearance and kind all the things you want all the things that your january list are pointing you towards comes from a spirit-led life love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness And self-control. You know, that's interesting to me. It ends with that. You know, self-control is not self-control at all. It's actually spirit control. Like self-control is not us somehow figuring out how to make control of our life under our power. Because you don't have self-control. I'm just opening the curtain today. I'll just give you some wisdom. You don't have it and neither do I. And so we don't need to be self-disciplined. We need to be spirit-disciplined. This idea that we don't have self-control, we need to learn to live in step with the Holy Spirit. You've got to figure out how to learn with the leading. Galatians goes on to teach us, verse 24, he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus, this is how it happens, have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. You want the first step to living a Holy Spirit-led life? You've got to crucify your life with the passions and its desires and the flesh. Because the reality is all of us are sinful and God's dream for your life is that you would die every single day. Come on, somebody, put that on a bumper sticker. That's what we need. I'm going to put that on a poster outside the chair. God's will for your life. God's will for your life is not that you would live out every dream and hope you have for your life. That is Disney, not Jesus. Come on, somebody. That is not what God's, God's will for your life is you would take your fleshly passions and desires and you would nail them to the cross. That you would die every day. Every day you say, I'm going to have to be crucified with my fleshly world and my desires. Every day, all my flesh is so I can live by the spirit and keep in step with the spirit. Keep that image in your mind in step to keep in step. I love the contrast here. We live by the spirit. So let's keep in step with it. The contrast, if the spirit's winning the war, or if the, our sinful nature, will we fall out of step? Out of step. You got to pray this prayer. If we're going to start this thing, first thing, jot it down. If you're taking notes, quick three things before we close. But if you want to pray a prayer of this, this week, I didn't have some fancy way to put this. I would just say, if we, wanna, if we want this to happen in our lives, you say, I'm in that place of frustration, of confusion, of discouragement. I just can't make it go. If you want it in your life, first thing we have to do, we're going to pray, Holy Spirit, would you fill me? We want to stay in step with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, it says it this way, Do not be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I love the contrast here. Because you can fill in, on, fill in drunk on wine with whatever it is in your life that you are using to pacify your pain or to excuse yourself from your sin or to cover over the things or to keep your stress out or whatever it is that keeps you from experiencing God's best for your life. 
Some of you, it is wine. Come on, we'll just call it. Some of you, it is. I'll have one cup that turns into five glasses, that turns into ten glasses. You're a lush. Let's call it what it is. Come on, somebody. Let's just put it on its face. And if you continue consuming like that, you will never experience God's presence. Because if you settle for the counterfeit, you'll never experience the real. If you let the counterfeit take the place of God's presence in your life. It's what you run to in times of depression. It's what you run to in times and try to cover over all those things. You'll never experience God's best for your life. And you can insert food or watching sports or sexual perversion, whatever it is that you put in here that lets you justify or cover up or excuse the sin from your life. You can put anything you want in here to be filled with. Instead, he says, but be filled with the spirit. He says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. That word filled in the Greek New Testament, it's actually a repetitive. It's a continuous filling. You know why? Because it's a continuous day-by-day thing to stay in step with the Spirit. That thing Paul talked about, it's a continuous thing to stay in step, step by step. This is the thing that keeps on happening. I heard a pastor one time say, it's because the Holy Spirit leaks. Come on, somebody, it leaks. Now, I have no theological basis for that, but it makes sense. Come on, somebody. Like it just leaks out of life. Have you ever noticed like you don't pray once and then every day for the rest of your life, you're just in step with the spirit. Like that flesh, that old person tries to come to life every day. The old Ben, every day, the flesh Ben, every day, the jerk Ben tries to come back to life. And every day I got to crucify him with the same passions and pleasures. I got to put him right back to death again. And there are things that seem to make the Holy Spirit leak a little bit faster in my life than others. Now, it's different for you. For me, there's just things. There are some things that just seem to make it go a little bit quicker out of my life. Like traffic, if I'm honest with you guys. We talked about this. Maybe some of you it is that. I'll just, I'll heal somebody today. We just, specifically the type of traffic where two people who have never met each other in their entire lives make some kind of like weird pack to drive the same speed, 35 miles an hour on a two-lane road next to each other. You've seen this? Like driving down, like when the speed limit is clearly 45, I will lose my salvation and my mind. Come on, somebody. My kids will tell you, like, I'm like yelling at people. I'm not, I, I'm not there yet. I'm not like where I'm like, well, this is like an old grandma right here. They're just, I want them to go. And this is like a 16 year old really learning how to drive. And so I would want my mother or grandmother to get home safe. And I would want, you know, my daughter to come home safe from this drive. And so Lord, just bless them. Lord, just put your angels of protection around them. Cover their whole car. No, I'm like on their bumper, like, bam, bam, bam. Like, like, move. We have two lanes for a reason. Like you can. Both get in the same lane, drive right behind each other, and still drive the same speed. Be filled. Be filled with the Spirit. My kids will say, I'm like shouting, I'm like, somebody needs to put some worship music on, like right now. Like, play some Hillsong or something, because I just need to be, be filled. Holy Spirit, would you fill me? Number two, jot it down. Holy Spirit, would you show me? So after we ask, I want to be in step, Holy Spirit, because there's nothing worse than that same jerk that comes alive every day, now floating on cloud nine, thinking there's nothing wrong with themselves, thinking I have no problems and no sin in my life. There's nothing wrong with somebody with a blind spot, and it's the worst when it's us. Because that's the nature of deception, right? You don't know that you're deceived. You don't know that you have this problem. But so watch this. The Holy Spirit, would you show me? We don't know that we're lashing out. We don't know that we're acting that way to people. We don't know that we're addicted. Watch this. Holy Spirit's job to bring conviction. Jesus said, when he comes, he'll convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Holy Spirit, would you show me? Every day, would you show me places I've been insensitive? Show me areas I've tolerated sin in my life. 
areas that I'm not in step with you need to show me. Number three, Holy Spirit, I need you to change me because I can't change myself. That's why David prayed in Psalms. Chapter 51, create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Holy Spirit, would you change me? You have to ask God, would you ask, would you just change me? Because sometimes we get weary. He says, create in me a pure heart and then renew a steadfast spirit. Sometimes you just get tired trying to do what's right. Trying to stand up for what's actually God wants us to do. We ask, Holy Spirit, would you come? Refresh my commitment to this. Renew a spirit inside of me. Because God is working in you. Giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Sometimes we forget that. That it's God at work inside of us. That's how God works from the inside out. First Thessalonians, as we close, he says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. It doesn't say, may you try harder and become sanctified. It doesn't say, may you have a better list and a better plan not to fall into sin. No, it says, may God sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God wants to change you this year. Listen, 2024 could be a radically different year. And I don't say that in a cliche way. I say it could be different because some of the things that you've had on the list for so many years might actually change. But it doesn't come by you trying harder. It only comes by surrendering to Jesus Christ. Bow your heads with me as we pray today. You know, even as Christians, we can be guilty sometimes of trying to solve our problems ourselves. The Bible calls that sin, going our own way. Even as Christians, we can try to take hold of this thing and say, I'm going to fix it under my own power. And because of that, we don't have peace. We don't have joy. We don't have the things that come with being in step with the Spirit because we're not in step with the Spirit. I want to pray God would help us this year to surrender every area, every spot. But first, there are some of you today and you know exactly what I'm talking about as far as the sinful nature goes because you have tried. You've tried every way you can think of, every step you can take. You've cried every tear you've got. You've done everything and you still come up short. You've tried everything and you have failed miserably every single time. I want you to know it will never work until you have God's power in your life. The reason it doesn't work is because it was never meant to. You can't fix yourself. But I promise you God can. And so if you're in a place today and you're like, I'm hearing these things and I've screwed it all up. But listen, you don't know my life. You don't know how far I am from God. It may be true he can change everybody else, but it's not going to work for me. Listen to me. God loves you. And he can fix you. I don't care what else you've tried. I don't care how far you've run. I don't care how hopeless you think you are. He loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And listen to him. Even more than that, he wants you. I don't care what anybody ever told you. God wants you. The Bible says he loves you. In fact, he loves you so much. He says, while we were still dead in our sins, what Paul talked about, dead and completely lost, that God himself came for us. He says, Jesus was born on this earth. He didn't send an angel and he didn't send 
a legal document and he didn't send a plan and say, do this and then get back to me. No, God himself came. It says he lived a perfect life. Jesus had no sin and then he died on a cross. And you say, well, why did he have to? Because he died at our place. You want to know what the cost was for the sins that we committed? You want to know what the cost was for the lives that we led? You want to know what the cost was for being enemies of God? It was death. But Jesus died in our place. Perfect son of God gave his life and paid the price. Paid in full, erased the transgressions, erased our sins, took away the power that sin would ever have over us by dying on the cross. But he didn't just stay dead. The Bible says he rose to life three days later that anyone could call on his name and be saved. You want the answer? It's not in a list. It's not in resolutions. It is not in self-change. The answer is in Jesus Christ, committing our lives to him. And so right now, if that's you, if you say, I'm in that place, but I want to be free. It starts right now. And I can pray this prayer with you. It's a simple prayer. It's not some high theological. It's this most simple prayer I can imagine, but it's a prayer of surrender. And I can pray with you, but you have to make a decision. And look, I'm not going to make you raise your hand. I'm not going to make you come to the front. I'm not looking to embarrass you in front of your family or whoever it is you came with today. This is a decision that you make. I just want to pray with you. And our church is dedicated. We will pray this prayer with every single person that wants to pray it. And so we pray this all together at this moment. But you can decide to pray this in your heart and to surrender your life. And it's why I'm so excited. Afterwards, we have baptisms where those who have prayed this prayer have made this decision. Now publicly make the declaration. But right now you have to make this. All of them have made this choice at some time or another. They have surrendered their lives. And now it's your chance to make a choice. So come on, church, we're going to pray this with them. Nobody prays alone. Say these words. If that's you, say it with us. Say, Jesus, save me. I repent of my sin, of my mistakes. And I trust you. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, I thank you for every person here. God, what an honor it is to serve and to follow you. And Father, I pray specifically for those who have been tormented with the power of sin in their lives. Father, some of us so discouraged, some of us confused, some of us thinking we'll never be free. I thank you that you give us your Holy Spirit. And so today, right now, we declare our complete dependency on you, that we cannot live our lives without your power, without your strength. And so, Father, we pray right now. Holy Spirit, would you fill us? Holy Spirit, would you show us areas of our life that are not in step with you? And then we pray with the power of God that you would change us. Because we can't do it ourselves, but we know the God who can. Pray, give us strength this week as we continue to live in step with your Spirit. We pray it all in Jesus' name. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, would you give God praise for what he's done today?